Magazine and ASI Media, and I am here with my very dear and very old friend, John Lynch, um, my American friend from Jersey, a Jersey boy who moved to Poland many, many years ago and owns a company, is the CEO of a company, Linka, which I've always described as, it's so funny, I've always described it as the vantage of Europe, and lo and behold, Earlier this year, John sold his company to Vantage, Ira Neiman's company. And we, of course, covered that story. So I have John here with me from Poland, from, I believe, right outside of Krakow. And we're going to talk about things going on in Europe and what's happening with his company since he sold. But most exciting is that for many years that I've known John, he was always writing a book. Um, based on, you know, loosely some experiences that he had some familiarity with, but the book, which is a work of fiction, has been published. It is on the bestseller list in Poland as one of the top thrillers. And I just wanted to talk about that because it's so rare, first of all, that somebody realizes their life's work and dream that comes to fruition. But, you know, you've done it with great success. So with all of that build up, hi, John. Hi, Michelle. It's good to be here with you. You in Pennsylvania, me in Poland. So it's good, good to catch up. Yeah. And just just so so I'm correct. So you are. I know um, Lincoln is based in Krakow, but do you live in Krakow? I live uh, five miles from the Krakow border. So I live in the countryside, a small town, uh, very bucolic, very beautiful place. Uh, I never have traffic. I drive. You know, I avoid the deer and the pheasants and the wild boar when I'm driving to work. A <laughs> little bit different than from where, remind me where you grew up in Jersey? Yes, I grew up in, uh, well, the, the hometown of John Bon Jovi, who was in my graduating class, of course, Sayreville, New Jersey, right in the center, central New Jersey, not far from New Brunswick, and just at the top part of the Jersey Shore. So so when you bend that corner, yep. uh, the Jersey Shore starts. starts. So I, I grew up in a, in a kind of middle class town in central Jersey, um, um, close to the beach, one of your favorite places in New Jersey, and not far from New York City. So New York, I mean, if you count Staten Island as New York, was about 11 miles from where I grew up. So it was really like across the river, you were in New York. That's great. And, you know, John, when I think of you, you are such an example of a true entrepreneur. I mean, you, you kind of bootstrapped your way up and, you know, you share with me many times, you know, your mom was a waitress. Um, in a diner, I believe, and you know, you you put yourself through college, and you got your MBA, Wharton in Philly. Was it Wharton? Yeah. Wharton, Wharton in Philly. Wharton in Philly, and then you decided, of all places, to go to Poland, which was very not the Poland of now. Very different because you know it was still under you know the communist regime, and I think the communism had just fallen. So can you take us back there? I believe was it 30 years ago, 35. Yeah, it was, it was exactly 30 years uh, this year. So this year I celebrated my 30-year uh, anniversary in Poland. So I was, you know, coasting through life. I, I went to Lehigh up in, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I was an engineer. My first job was almost down the street from the ASI in Hatboro. So mm -hmm. I was living in Willow Grove, um, working for Procter & Gamble in Hatboro. Then I decided to go for an MBA uh, in uh, in Philadelphia, Wharton, and then I took a job in New York City. So I was like on the fast fast pack path uh, in America. And then 1989 came along, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Polish Solidarity Movement, movement our our favorite Lech Wałęsa, and um, 
and the the top business schools in the in the country decided to send kind of young American business people off to Eastern Europe to help get capitalism started. And I went over there as something like a Peace Corps volunteer, except it was called the MBA Corps. So we went over to just work with entrepreneurs, teach them marketing, finance, and uh, we were supposed to come back after a year. And 29 years later, I'm still there. And what was Poland like at that time, John? I mean, you know, having just come out from being under the thumb of communism, what was that like? I mean, it was, uh, people ask sometimes if it was like scary. Um, parts of it were, but I, I got there eight months after Lech Wałęsa was elected president. It was really the very beginning uh, of the changes. Um, so stores were starting to get some goods. There were still shortages. It was very, very poor country. Everything was gray. Um, but there was an amazing optimism because they threw off the shackles of communism and they, you know, the, the, the good guys were victorious. So people just felt tremendous optimism that things were going to get better. So that was good. I mean, as a matter of fact, when I landed in Poland, there were still 100,000 Soviet troops in, in Poland, tanks and troops and KGB guys. So we were in our training program. We were told that, you know, if you find yourself being followed by strange characters, call this number and we'll send somebody to help kind of thing. So there was a little nervousness. And, and not long after I arrived, the Soviet tanks rolled into, into Lithuania when the, when the Lithuanians and Baltic states um, tried to declare their independence. Soviet Union said, no, no, no. And they rolled tanks in. So it was, you know, it was a pretty uh, tenuous time in history. Yeah, I bet. And, and what made you, so you went there in kind of a consultative role to help this kind of new democracy, right? And, and yeah. entrepreneurs in this new democracy. So you were there and you decide to start a company. So what made you decide to start an apparel decoration company then and in that place? Yeah. So uh, the, the wonderful thing about the program was we worked with, you know, true bootstrap Polish entrepreneurs, you know, people who had... This is 1991. There were no business schools. There was no marketing. There was no word for marketing. So um, we were working with people who had fruit import companies or they were doing bottled mineral water or they were doing, you know, kielbasi and things like that. But little five, 10 person companies, we were watching them grow from nothing without money, without experience, without business education. These people were building businesses. So the original plan to go for one year and help out. And my, my basic plan was, it'll be a cool story to tell my grandkids someday that I was over there when the wall fell and I experienced the, you know this incredible time in history uh, firsthand. But after the 12 months of working with uh, the Polish entrepreneurs, I just thought, what am I gonna do? Just jump back into the American rat race, my post-MBA rat race, and investment banking or management consulting when when probably Eastern Europe is the most dynamic, exciting place on the planet, right? It never happened before that a communist system ended and, and it was converted into a free market democracy. So I was right there. Every six months, the world was changing. And so pretty, I would say within six to nine months, I uh, had decided that it, it totally made sense to try to start a, start a business over there. And the first thing I started doing actually um, was a guy, uh, this nice uh, banker from, from Connecticut who worked for Citibank probably, was hired to 
be the CEO of a regional bank in Poland, which was called the Polish American Bank. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, my mom, who, who passed away earlier this year, was a waitress in a diner. And she, of course, told every client who ever came in about my son, Johnny, who lives in Poland. And, <laughs> and probably she had directed like 10 or 12 people to me and said, oh, if you go to Krakow, call my son. So I kept meeting these people and I was being very polite because it's my mom. And finally, she's, she calls, hey, the other waitress, Ruth, her, her nephew is starting a bank in Poland and he wants to meet you. So like, okay, mom, I'll go meet the guy from the bank. He's probably the teller. And it turns out he was the CEO of the bank. Wow. And, and they needed a, a, a modern marketer to help them uh, build the bank. And so my first job was in my company was a consultant to the Polish American bank. And I created the marketing department for them. I did it for about six months under Linka. So Linka at first was, you know, financial services consulting company. <laughs> gotcha. So nothing to do with apparel or decorating. Yeah. But the big thing was it paid real money. So I was able to actually save, save some money over there. Um, and then um, how it, we parlayed that into uh, into into apparel and promotional business is the about an hour south of Krakow is the nicest uh, winter ski resort in in Poland, one of the best in Central Eastern Europe. It's a, a place called Zakopane, and I went to Zakopane for a weekend, and I saw signs that there was a it's, it's like a university Olympics. It's called Universiade, and there were signs everywhere that in December is going to be the global universiata with, with uh, skiers and jumpers from 35 countries and i just walked into the mayor's office and i said is anybody doing merchandise and they said no we, we didn't think about that and i said well, i'd like to get the license for the merchandise and i had no capacity what, no what, capabilities. what did you know about that you knew nothing 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 uh but it just looked like an opportunity and this is where i realized that i'm maybe an entrepreneur too and uh, in about five days, we wrote an agreement for Lincoln to have an exclusive license for the event. We made up designs. We found some T-shirt printers. I sourced T-shirts in the Netherlands. I, you know, everything in about one month. We did the whole thing. And then we tried to figure out where to sell the shirts, and there was no places to sell them. So we set up kiosks all over town and sold them ourselves. And in about two weeks, I think we made twenty twenty-five thousand dollars and we just said, well, this is actually not a bad little business. So we took that money, we invested it in our own equipment, and we started a very small manual screen print shop for printing t-shirts for ourselves. And that's how we got into the, into the business. So it was completely opportunistic. It was nothing to do with experience. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry and fast-moving consumer goods for Procter & Gamble. You know, you say opportunistic, I would say very entrepreneurial, you know, yeah. I mean, saw, you saw a need and you just dove right in without even considering, I didn't, really don't know anything about doing logoed merchandise, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we were, we were, my partner and I were, were thinking about what businesses to start. And the, the main criteria was basically, we have no money. So we can't start anything that requires lots of money. So we said like, oh, what about a McDonald's franchise? So we went and looked into that as like $1 million deposit to do it. I was like, okay, well, let's scratch that one. We said, look, how about Levi jeans? Because there were no jeans in Poland back then. And, you know, you, you got to do a minimum purchase of X. So all these ideas were just falling by the wayside. And this one, actually, it was our professor at Wharton 
Ian McMillan, a brilliant professor of entrepreneurial management, he said, you know, many businesses begin out of a project. So something comes along, an opportunity to make some money or do something. And um, once you do that project, you, you verify that it's a, a, a decent idea that maybe is worth building into a business. So we didn't even have a business when we started. We did the project. It was successful. And it turned into, into a business. Gotcha. So, you know, you, you had the business for 30 years, as you said, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, before selling to Ira earlier this year. And well, I, 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 sh I should jump in and clarify that I am still an owner of Lincoln. So Ira and I are partners now. So it's it's uh, Vantage is majority shareholder of Lincoln. Gotcha. Good so it's know. probably more of a merger than me selling the business because I'm still very much in uh, in as owner of the business. Great. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Um, so in the 30 years, you know, as as any young owner and um, an entrepreneur, I know you you saw many challenges, many ups and downs. And during this time, you know, you and I met, you know, many, many years ago. And, you know, you were telling me about what it's like to be a business owner. And you said, I would really like to write this book because sometimes it can be just very disheartening and demoralizing and, you know, it's just punishing to run a company. And and you referenced John Bon Jovi and you said, I just, I got to keep the faith. They keep the faith. And, you know, you started writing this book and you would send me different iterations of the book to read. And I loved reading all of the, the different iterations. So cut to now. And you wrote this book and called The Ark and it's been published and it's in bookstores throughout Poland and you've been on a book tour and you know it's it's a really great read for somebody certainly who loves thrillers but also who is a business owner or runs a business to see kind of because it tells this incredibly um intricate and fascinating and riveting tale like i remember telling you you know the characters just stayed with me and and i wanted to know more about the female detective you know and and yeah. all so can you talk about the genesis of that and how you kind of stuck with it, you know, yep. to, to write all these different iterations, because it was a lot. Yeah, I, 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 it took me five years to write the book. So from you, you were the first person to see an early draft. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, you thing. were the first. And um, your initial feedback, for instance, you, you talked about the female FBI agent. Well, you were the first one that said to me, this, this character's name is Faith Osborne. Yeah, so keep the faith came into my book through her her character. Yeah. But you're the first one that says, "Hey, this character is really cool." My only comment is, there's not enough of her in there. So your comment set off a wave of changes that took me about two years to complete because I needed to write her back in in a more significant way because I found the same thing. I fell in love with the character, and then every other particular female beta reader I had. Because after you, I had about four other people read manuscripts along the way. The three out of the four were women. And they all said, oh, this Faith character is cool. I want to see more of her. So everybody said the same thing. They wanted to see more of Faith. And ultimately, if I write more books, which I, which I probably will, I will take the Faith character, who's not the main character of the book, and take her on additional adventures in Central Eastern Europe with Belarus or Russia or Ukraine, because she is now... Uh, living in Warsaw, uh, working at the U.S. Embassy in, in Warsaw, where she's the FBI head of the Legat in Warsaw. So she's, she became uh, my star, and that's thanks to the seed you planted. Well, sign me up to read those copies because, you know, I love her. I love that character. 
So tell me, tell me where you got the idea to kind of write this compelling, fascinating, almost Grisham-esque, as you said, like thriller of a of a novel. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I before I started writing, I read uh, a lot of what successful fiction writers went through, how they became writers. And Grisham, as most people know, was just a lawyer in Mississippi. Right? He was taking the train into work and he was in his 20s and he wrote a book, A Time to Kill, that was kind of a flop. It sold like 2,000 copies. Um, I'll right? prob- uh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he wrote uh, The Firm and that sold 3,000 copies. So it wasn't like a hit by any means, but it landed on a Hollywood producer's desk they said, this is a great story. They turned it into a movie. Tom Cruise starred. It was the film of the year 1991. And right after that, Grisham sold a million copies of his book. And then it launched his career. And then, and then it was a couple of years later, he actually resigned, uh, gave up being a lawyer and just went full-time writing. But what I loved about uh, Grisham and, and still love about Grisham is he, he's writing something that he's intimately familiar with. He, didn't, he doesn't have to research this stuff. He lives this stuff. So his writing is so authentic. I remember little things like lawyers are really particular about paper. And if somebody was at their desk and moved around some papers on their desk, a lawyer would know it was touched because they feel it, right? And that's the kind of stuff you only know if you're a lawyer. So I'm an entrepreneur. I know what goes through the minds of entrepreneurs. So if I was going to write anything, it was going to be about an entrepreneur. Um, I, As you pointed out, I, I've had, which I've, as life goes on, every, everybody has ups and downs through life, right? Sure. People get sick, people die, um, they lose their businesses, all kinds of stuff happens, right? And and so my life in Poland and my life in general has been going up and down. Um, whenever it goes down, I, I figure out how to garnish the strength to get back up again. But I had a business crisis happen to me that you you know about, which was pre- pretty dramatic um, shareholder battle where um, where I literally lost my business that I'd been building for 20 years. And there was a day when I was out and I, I was in, I was at a at one of your shows actually in, in Florida when it happened. And I went into my own little battle um, to win my company back. And during the entire ordeal, which lasted almost a year, I was saying to my team, I was telling them all the time, guys, don't give up, keep the faith. So I was, that's where that came from. But the second thing was, I kept saying, God, I, I feel like I'm living through a John Grisham novel. This stuff that's happening is unbelievable. So when it, it was wild. It was, it was wild. wild. It was wild, yeah. yeah. I mean, SWAT guys showing up at the company, all kinds of stuff. So after it was all over, things stable, kind of happy ending, I decided I wanted to write about it. And I started writing um, nonfiction. I started writing what really happened. But within a couple, within a month or two, I just said, this is not right. I don't want to write about what happened over the last two years. It, it wasn't like stressful. It just wasn't interesting. So what I did was I did what Grisham did. Grisham, uh, A Time to Kill, had a real case that was the same backbone of the story. And he decided to write a fictitious story. So, okay, what would happen if these guys were connected with the mob or this or that or like the firm? And I said, I'm just going to take the, the spinal cord of what really happened the skeleton, and I'm going to fill it in with fictitious characters, really colorful characters, and and make it a a fiction story. So it is absolutely fiction. This just so happens that some people said, oh, maybe this 
Truman Chase characters your alter ego. It's like, you know, no, actually, Truman Chase, I sat around for a couple weeks coming up with his background story, right? He, he, he's from the Bronx. His dad was a Polish immigrant. I'm not, my parents were not Polish immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, he's into fashion. I mean, promotional clothing is not exactly fashion, as you know. So, um, so Truman had his own story, and, uh, and he had something bad happen to him like me. So um, the things I learned from different authors that I like, because I'd say three authors influenced me, uh, Ernest Hemingway, because what I love about he just he just writes brilliantly simple. He doesn't try to impress anybody with his complicated vocabulary. He just writes believable dialogue, real scenarios, colorful stories. And, and I read a couple Hemingway books before I started. Grisham in terms of thrillers. And then one of my favorite authors is Anne Rand, from who wrote The Fountainhead, and that was Shrugged. And she wrote a lot of books about how to write fiction. And I read all those. And she would write for weeks before she ever started the book about her characters. Mm. And that's what I did with my book. So I wrote about Faith Osborne. I wrote about Truman and Fernando pages. I, I came up where they went to school, what they studied, what they were called, what their nicknames were, who their friends were. Some of it didn't even make it into the book. But when I was writing about them, I was writing about real people who I'd already created in my mind. And so I came to like my characters. And so the thing, the feedback I get that's most satisfying is one, God, the dialogue is really authentic. It really, and people say this, the hardest thing in fiction is writing not stilted dialogue. Sure. And the characters you really can relate to. And it's because I really put a lot of effort into creating them. Well, and I think it's because they're so nuanced and there's so much color and depth there. Like the Fernando character, by the way, to me, and maybe this is just me and and my transference, but, you know, I read it as just, you know, the stereotypical kind of like slick, overconfident, douchey, Euro trash kind, you know what I mean? Like that kind of guy who's had all the privilege in life because of how he was raised and just thinks that with a snap of a finger, people will acquiesce and bend to his will. Yeah. And you know, and that just like oozed off the off the page, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting about, you know, the the since the early version that you read, some things have changed. Um, one thing is it's not the story of one character, but it's the story of two characters, right? So the story intertwines little kind of innocent Truman Chase, who's from a poor Polish immigrant family in the worst neighborhood in the Bronx, and, and they really um they didn't have hot water at home, so he used to have to boil hot water to, to wash his hair in the morning. But he just thought the world was beautiful. He walked through the projects in the Bronx and he whistled. And people were like, what's this kid whistling about? We live in a shithole. And, and Truman is just like, well, you know, there's beauty in the world everywhere. You just have to look for it. So he's this like, optimistic guy who, um, who then... Uh, he's got a my other you you told you told me you like the character the the um, uh, Isaac character the um, uh, you know the the the, the tailor the, the the old Jewish tailor from the yep. Bronx who 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 said he just he gestures like the Pope and talks like the rabbi Truman 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 <laughs> I'm so proud of you right so he a little bit sounds like Woody Allen. So I got I got Isaac in my head. He's really Isaac Sussman, who just takes Truman, the little Catholic boy, Polish boy, 
So I love the I love the interdenominationalness of it all. And and Truman's kind of a uh, a doubting Thomas. He's not really sure about God. He doesn't know if his attitudes are because of his genes or because of God. So there's a little bit of that in there. But um, Truman goes off to study um, uh, fashion in Philadelphia at Drexel. And he gets the job of his offer of his life with Ralph Lauren in, in New York City, his idol. Isaac taught him that, you know, uh, uh, Calvin Klein studied business. He didn't study fashion, he studied business. He said, Truman, you could be a good fashion designer, but you gotta study business. And um, and he's got this, he's ready to start his big career in New York City with, with Ralph Lauren. And his dad comes to him and says, Truman, I need you to drop your career and move to Poland to help my brother. And and he was imbued with the values from his dad, uh, Stanislav or Stasek uh, Chuzh. And he says, well, family first, dad, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. So he drops his life to help his family, which is a very Polish thing, very Polish yeah. thing to do. Yeah, and then his adventure begins. He goes to Poland for one year to try to help his uncle. He's hoping to come back to Ralph Lauren, and then life takes him in a different direction. And then the second half is the Fernando Tomasi, who's a you know rich kid of parents who kind of ignored him, outsourced his upbringing. He went to very expensive prep schools. He got he got to go to whatever college he wanted to. And he's, you know, one line I wrote, he went to the University of um, Massachusetts, Amherst, UMass Amherst. And it said, in the left-leaning school, many students wanted to join the Peace Corps or help the world in other ways. Fernando always knew he wanted to be a banker. <laughs> you know, so Fernando became a banker. He liked money. And and um, and his his little vision, because he's also a young man, he wants to just make a lot of money. There's nothing evil in that. And the two guys come together, and it's it's uh, David and Goliath in the modern incarnation. It is. I mean, and, and it's a wonderful character study of a of a very optimistic protagonist and a very kind of cynical antagonist. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Who it's not just you're being kind, John. It's not just the money. It's the trappings too that he's attracted to that go with the money and and sure. the, the boats and the women and the cars. You know all of all of that stuff. So their personalities are diametrically different, yeah. and it's fascinating to watch them kind of circle each other and and the dance that they do around each other. You know, yeah. and then with the peripheral characters like Isaac and like Faith. You know, yeah. 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 so you know that's all uh, I think is is fascinating to read. So. Now that, you know, all these, it took you, you said five years to do it. Like what kind of sense of accomplishment I would imagine do you feel like, you know, I know it was a whole different mountain to climb, a Herculean task to kind of find a publisher and how do you yeah. navigate, what do you know about book publishing and how that yeah. world, you know, and you had to navigate that. So yeah. what do you feel now? Like it's happened, you know, here yeah. you are on the bestseller list. Well, it's a, it's a you know, great feeling. Of, of, of accomplishment. It, it's definitely one of the greatest things I've done in my life. And it's certainly, if not the, then one of the most enjoyable things I've done in my life. This was not a labor of love. It was pure love. I loved writing the book. And it's such, you know, being an entrepreneur, I've always considered to be one of the most honorable things a person could do, right? You have an idea, it doesn't exist. You get together with some people and you create something, whether it's Steve Jobs in the most glamorous form or just regular old promotional product distributors or whoever it may be, is, is you're creating something. You, you, I don't know, you either lost your job or you want to go out on your own. And so um, 
for me, the writing process of writing a novel in particular was a pure creative process and I loved it. Now, the business part of it, um, I actually learned it from just talking to people who were in the trade. So I talked to some publishers, I talked to some, I'm in that YPO organization and there's a lot of people with a book business there. And everybody told me it was going to be a struggle and I would have, um, you know, a lot of hard times. And I had 25 publishers say no. So, you know, it was not, it was not easy. I mean, that's daunting, John, 25, you know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I finally got a really big publisher over here in Central Eastern Europe. It's called Axel Springer. It's probably the biggest um, publishing house in Central Eastern Europe. So they put their weight behind the project, which is great. I'm in all the stores. We've got, we had great uh, events and there's good social media. And my, my goal now is to take the success here and springboard it to success in the U.S. and uh, English language world, which um, you know would be great. But it, it, either way, uh, it's already a success for me. I, I'm so uh, so pleased with it. Now the most important thing is people are starting to read it. It only came out two weeks ago. And so people are now starting to read it. And I'm seeing all the reviews going up online. And it's almost universally positive. I got people, of course, writing to me personally saying, wow, it, everybody says, it's surprisingly good. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they mean by that, but nobody expects a new author to write anything good. And so that validation is really uh, awesome. Just, sure. Uh, you know. And do you, do you ever envision yourself, John, because, you know, you, I know you've lived in Poland for a long time, but you are, at, to your core, you're a Jersey guy. You know, do you, do you how old are your kids now? Uh, my son Jake is 16. He's six foot five, and he's uh, looking at studying in the United States, maybe in Philadelphia, maybe in New York. Um, he's a bright young boy, and uh, I'm sure he'll do great things. My daughter uh, Sophie is an artist. She's 13. She's an awesome artist. Um, they probably all want to settle in Europe in the long term, but they might study in the States. Um, I'm here, I, I don't know if your question is leading to will I ever come back to the States. I I think that maybe I would spend more time in the States. Maybe mm-hmm. I would, you know, not exactly a bi- bi-continental existence, but I would spend more time in the States. But on the, on the other hand, like my mom passed away this year. My brother passed away two years ago, way too young. Yeah. And so, you know, as time goes on, my center of gravity is here, and I love Europe. So I think I'd do more trips to Jersey in the summer uh, to see my family who's who's still living there. But I think I think my days are. Uh, I think if I have a second home, it's more likely to be in Spain uh, or or Italy than Long Beach Island or Avalon, where you hang out, Stone Harbor. <laughs> the sunny place for shady people, John. Yeah. <laughs> So, so now that you and Linka and Vantage have kind of melded and, and merged, um, to use your word, you know, uh, our dear friend, as I call him, the Yoda of apparel, knows everything about wearables, Ira does. How yeah. is it going? You know, because again, you are, I love when you called entrepreneurs, by the way, an honorable profession. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it because, you know, creating jobs, creating possi- opportunities, creating you know, um, life for people, you know, for your employees. So you've done that all your life. So now, you know, you're, you're part of another entity. Yeah. Um, 
that that is reputable and respected and you know people think the world of ira and vantage and and rob watson and and his whole yeah. team there and you know what what is that like for you much different experience than what happened to you in poland obviously yeah. you know with the book but so how has it been so far and i know it hasn't been that long um it's it's been fantastic first of all i have always had shareholders at lincoln i co-founded it uh, back in 1992, when I was a 50% shareholder, we brought in an angel investor after a couple of years. We had a private equity investor in the 90s. So I rarely owned more than 25% of Lincoln, but I was the founder, co-founder, and ran the thing as pre president, CEO forever. So people associated me as the face of, of Lincoln, but I've always had partners, always. And all, all I can say is that uh, Vantage and Ira are just the greatest partners I've ever had. Just, Ira and I have known each other, as you know, because you introduced us. Right? I, wrote, I, wrote to you, I wrote to you 12 years ago and said, um, I've been reading about Vantage. It looks like a really interesting company. Can you connect me with, with the founder? And you wrote me an, e an email to us both. Ira wrote to me in Polish, Yakshamash, which I was surprised by. And then it turned out... His, his headquarters was about 20 minutes from where my family lives in New Jersey. So when I fly to the States, I'd go up and have lunch with Ira. We got to know each other. We talked about our businesses. And we just had a good chemistry from the very beginning. So when it became time for me to, to look for a new partner, because I had existing partners um, in Europe, and, and it wasn't right. It wasn't working. And I went to them and said, look, I'd like to go out and bring somebody else on board to buy you guys out. It was totally friendly, professional deal. And I, Ira was the first one I called. And it just, I went over to New Jersey and said, Ira, we've been talking about how similar our businesses are for many years. Why don't we, uh, why don't we do this together? And, um, you know, I, I, I could have financed and bought the whole thing myself. But at this stage, I felt you know, Lincoln didn't have its own brand. Uh, Link is good at certain things. It turns out Link and Vantage are kind of perfect fit because we're good at different things. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of one plus one is equal to three. And uh, Vantage has a wonderful range of clothing of their own, which is something we don't have. And it's really difficult to build from scratch. So all of the, the planets aligned. It really looked, uh, we were, we were going to close the deal in, in February of 2020 until a little pandemic came along and it killed the deal. It stopped. It looked like it was all going to just die. And then, you know, eight, nine months later, the world came back. We picked up the phone and said, let's give it a try again. And we, we, we got it done. And now Ira and I have a uh, every Sunday, his morning, my afternoon powwow <laughs> on Zoom. And we just shoot the crap and talk about what's going on with the businesses. Um, we're learning a lot from them. Uh, your old friend, Rob, we just had a call yesterday, so it's a it's a really yeah. good. The two, two cultures are so similar. We have such similar business models, and there really aren't that many others. There's big wholesalers of promotional clothing, and there's screen printers and decorators and stuff, but there's very few companies that do that whole one-stop shop thing. Sure. And in, in Europe, we're um, you know probably the most well-known advantage is absolutely the, the 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 best and biggest in in North America. So putting us together. Uh, the, their press release said that we're we're probably 
the largest or if not one of the largest full service apparel suppliers in the world now. So that's a that's pretty exciting. It is. It is, John. Yeah. And how's um, how's the promotional atmosphere right now in Europe? You know, in, in the U.S., you know, we just released our Q3 um, data and, you know, compared to last year, the industry, North American promo is up 18%. Of course, when you compare it to 19, down 12. So, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it's interesting. The demand is there. What's stopping it, what's impeding that, of course, is the, the supply chain issues and staffing issues. So I'm curious what Europe looks like right now for promo. It, it, it's exa almost exactly the same. Every week, Ira and I talk about this. And every single anecdote that one of us has, the other one says, oh, yeah, it's exactly the same here. Supply chain problems, nobody has product, can't get people. We could be selling 20% more if we could staff our factories um, fully. Um, we, we were talking about this even before the quarter four came along, and we were just sharing ideas of how we're keeping the machines all running given the labor force problems. And we, we've been having a, you know, knock on wood, just unbelievable fourth quarter. We're just, we just, we're shattering records. We have a, we have a shot of getting to the 219 level this year. Good which for was, you. Was not a part of our plan at all. So, um, yeah. So this, this is good. I hope next year is just more of the same. Uh, really hard to understand exactly what's going on. This is another one of these unprecedented things, right? Uh, uh, First, it was COVID itself, where in, in April, sales dropped 80%, and we all thought we were going to die. Right. Um, and, and literally, revenues went to zero and stuff like crazy stuff. And then the comeback was much better than we thought. Um, and then this year was a big question mark. And here we are. We're going into year three of COVID because of all these interesting folks who think it's a, it's a scam and the... <laughs> I don't understand. I'm going to get political here, but Poland is very far down the list in terms of percentage of people vaccinated. Is that it's right? Fifty-five percent, and it's the numbers are skyrocketing again. So, yeah, yeah, I believe in personal freedoms, but this this um, this is all kind of weird. You know, it's well, and I I shared with you. You know, I typically opt to go to PSI every year, but you know, Germany's in the middle of a huge resurgence. So, you know, it seems to me that you know, if you set aside the supply chain issues to get the industries in Europe and certainly North America back, one of the key things is the events, right? The events in business uh, travel yeah. and hospitality, and that that's not quite kicking into gear yet because yeah. of the situation with the resurgences coming back for sure. And I think. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, all shows will be down in 2022. They will for sure. For sure. For sure. But the people who go will are the people who love being there and they'll get so much out of it because, you know, they truly just have that desire to network and see new products in person. And, you know, so it'll be wonderful for them. You know, it really yeah. will. They'll, they'll love it. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the, we're all learning things as this goes. And right. And so, so in the beginning of it, some silly companies were saying, we don't see people going back to offices ever. We're going to let people work from home for the rest of our history. And I thought, how could you say that after three months? We have no idea what's going on. We had our first sales meeting, physical sales meeting for our sales reps. And every single person in the room said, this is irreplaceable. We have to get physically together. We need to be sitting. You know, Zoom works perfect one-on-one. -on -one. I would not fly to Iceland to meet one person. Sure. Right? 
But as soon as you put 10 or 15 faces on the screen, half yeah. of them are working on their emails. The uh, other half are on mute. In school, they don't make the kids even show themselves, so they're probably taking a nap. And and you don't get that interaction because it's impossible for 15 people to know who should talk next. So we yeah. had our first sales meeting in September, and it was really brilliant. And we just said, we've got to meet in person. We, you know, yeah. Talking at the water fountain in the kitchen is, is that stuff that... You know, Tom Peters talked about years ago in Search of Excellence that you design your office so that people from different departments run into one another. That's sure. when creativity happens. So I have two last questions for you. And thank you so much for your time because this is, yeah. I love that this has just been a kind of a free flowing conversation between yeah. us. Um, if somebody wants to buy your book in English, where can they do that? Yeah. So right now, it's just. Today, I started signing it on my own author's website, which is www.mynamejohnlynch.net. And it's got PayPal, it's got credit card payment, books are in America, and it's being fulfilled from New Jersey. Um, in Within the next month, I hope to have it up on Amazon. It's just, Amazon's a little tricky to, um, a, lot of, a lot of businesses, don't have in their business model that somebody could be an American and living in Poland. They're good with Americans living in America and Poles living in Poland, but as soon as you start sending mixed information, they're like, whoa, this sounds yeah. like a Ru Russian mafia guy. So um, so I'm working out the details with Amazon to be able to, to offer it globally, actually, um, but in the States as well. But for now, um, johnlynch.net. Great. And last question, and this may be an easy one for you, but since you're a Jersey guy, Bon Jovi or Springsteen? Oh, that's this is tough. This is tough. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough question. But uh, interestingly, my mom went to the same high school as Springsteen. So you went to the same high school and with Bon Jovi? With my class, we were in the same class together. Yeah. So he and his wife, right? Because didn't they go to? Dorothea yeah. was in our class too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, they were they were good people. And John was in he was literally in in my small group. We were a group of twenty five together, and he started playing guitar in seventh grade. And we're very proud of very proud of him. So I would say for for emotional reasons, um, uh, Bon Jovi. Although Springsteen's Broadway show, you saw that? No, the, the, I didn't. Oh my God! It, you can watch it on Netflix. Springsteen does like a two hour on stage soliloquy talking singing it's just talking about driving down route nine in freehold new jersey he tells his life story through his songs it is brilliant is that's that the right? only thing that would tilt the scale to springsteen but i gotta go with my my alma mater uh john uh, john bon jovi you know people unless you're from like philly and jersey you don't understand that when you drive over the walt whitman bridge during the summer to go to the beach at any of the beach towns it's it's uncanny. Like the minute this the radio stations change from if you're listening to regular radio and not you know serious or something like that, the minute they kick over from the Philly stations to Jersey, it's uncanny. But it's either a Springsteen song or a Bon Jovi song. It's fascinating to me. Absolutely. And when it's when it's uh, Philadelphia, it's uh, Buttercup. Philly's living in its, uh, why don't you fill me up, fill me up, buttercup, baby, won't you let me down? I heard that song 9,000 times when I lived in Philly. I said, when is Pennsylvania going to enter the 21st century? <laughs> I 
Uh, like next century. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, sweetie. This was so fun. Yeah, it's great. Great to talk to you and great to talk to your, your viewers and listeners. And we love uh, ASI over here in Poland. Well, and uh, hopefully I'll see you at one of the shows sometime soon. I'm going to, I'm going to get out. I'm vaccinated. I'm coming. Uh, I am too. So I'll see you there. All right. Bye, sweetie. All right. Bye.